0: Half an hour. And you're all sitting there going, please be half an hour. And I'm going, help me to be half an hour. So I'm going to pray that now. (laughs) Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for uh, your goodness to us, your mercies to us. Lord, as we remember this morning those who have given their lives in conflict, we're thankful, Lord. That most of us here have enjoyed peace in our time, we're grateful, Lord Jesus, for the nation that we live in, the great nation that we live in. I thank you so much, Lord, as we just think about places like Burma and uh, and and the oppression and tyranny. We thank you that we live in a nation where we are free to speak, like I am this morning, about you and. Lord, where we have so many privileges and so much wealth. I thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. And uh, I pray this morning that you would help me to communicate well. I thank you, Lord, that you are risen, and I pray that you would help me to communicate that this morning, and that you yourself would come by the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Is this microphone going to work or should I change? Are we okay? I'll carry on. Okay, thank you. I'll recommend a book just before I start. And If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 9, although the words will come up behind me as well. There's this book here called Vintage Jesus. The cover's a bit annoying, um, but it's a, a really helpful book if you're interested in the person of Jesus. And, for example, I'll read you some chapters. How human was Jesus? How did people know Jesus was coming? Why did Jesus come to the earth? Why did Jesus' mum need to be a virgin? What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? And particularly, and there's lots of other things as well, but one of the chapters focuses on the resurrection and the evidences for the resurrection. So that's a good book for you if you're interested and you can go and order that this morning from the um, bookstore at the back when, when I finish. So let me read to you from Luke chapter 9. This, okay, Luke chapter 9. Um, it says this, once when Jesus, 18 to 22, sorry. Once when Jesus was praying in private... His disciples were with him. He asked, who do the crowds say I am? Let me just stop there for a moment. People are still asking who who, who is Jesus? Who do the crowds say that Jesus is? Who is he? And I want you just to take a moment this morning because you've taken your time to be here. You've got out maybe earlier this morning to come to church. Maybe you don't normally come to church. Let's just try and make the best of this morning and ask that question. Who do you think Jesus is? Maybe, maybe you don't think about these things. Maybe... Uh, Maybe you work nine to five and every day or long hours, shift work. You, you, you go from day to day, the weekend comes round and you don't actually think about who is Jesus. Life's busy. Well, let's take the time this morning to ask who do you say Jesus is? Who do the crowds say he is? Verse 19, they replied, his disciples, some say a man called John the Baptist, others Elijah Still others, one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? Jesus said. Forget what other people say. What about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say? Who do you say Jesus is? Peter answered. God's Messiah. Now, God's Messiah is like their hero. They were waiting for this Messiah, this this conquering king to come, like their hero. So, God's hero. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone and said, the Son of Man, I, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law and I must be killed and on the third day, raised to life. So he's predicting before his death that it's going to happen. I particularly want to focus on those words. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, and must be killed. Jesus Jesus wants to redefine to his people And he wants to redefine to us who the hero is. He says that the Jewish people were expecting a hero to come to deliver them from the the Romans, to restore their nation. They were expecting this Messiah, this hero to come. Maybe an Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of character. Maybe a Tom Cruise character who comes along, obviously not with the guns and stuff. Maybe some special sandals. And... Comes along and delivers the nation. And he says something which is really odd. He says the hero is going to be rejected, the hero is going to suffer, and the hero is going to be killed. And then the hero is going to rise on the third day. He wants to define, redefine who the hero is. Jesus is the hero. And the first thing I want to say about Jesus is, I want to talk about his death, I want to talk about his resurrection. First thing I want to talk about his death, that it was promised. Jesus said, I'm going to die. It must happen this way. And I don't know if you believe the Bible. Before I was a Christian, I never really, I'd never read the Bible. I'd been given one by the Gideons at school, and uh, I haven't really respected it very much, to be honest. I don't know if you've got a Bible at home that maybe is unread. Maybe it is read. I don't know what, what you think about the Bible. The Bible is an amazing book. An amazing book. And one of the things that's particularly amazing about it is its accuracy in the fulfilment of prophecy. Prophecy is when you... Te- well, part of prophecy is when you talk about the future that this is going to happen. And the Bible has got got an awful lot of prophecy in it, particularly in the Old Testament, talking about this hero who would come, prophesying, predicting what would happen. I don't know about you, but remember after the uh, 9-11 events, the Twin Towers, and I remember that on the... Uh, in, there were programmes that came out about Nostradamus. Do you know Nostradamus? Hands up if you know who Nostradamus is. Okay, some of you know who Nostradamus is. He's like this, uh, this prophet of, uh, well, pu- pu- purported to be a prophet of long ago. And they were looking in his prophecies to see if he was predicting the Twin Towers events. And they found some words that they thought possibly referred to the Twin Towers. I thought it was a bit odd, but... People are really interested in that, aren't they? If you can predict the future. Well, the Bible predicts the future amazingly when it comes to Jesus. Do you know that Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies through his life and death and resurrection? Some of them going back as far as 1,400 years before his birth. In fact, one of them is probably, I don't know the date and no one really knows, but probably 4,000 years before his birth. Isn't that amazing? Now, you've got to take my word for it, or maybe you just won't take my word for it. Maybe you'll read it and find out. But do you know that actually on his death, just his death alone, on that day, he fulfilled 29 major prophecies. And the thing that's really interesting about those ones is that he had no power over many of them. And I'm going to just point out a few prophecies to you in the half an hour that I've got about his... He he was promised. He says the Son of Man must suffer. It was promised. Let me tell you, 700 years before his birth, a man wrote this, that the virgin would conceive, give birth, a son, and they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you know, we read it, don't we, at the at Christmas time. I hope you're going to come along, and we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. That's the fulfilment. Jesus was born of the Virgin. Her um, fiance, as we would call them now, Joseph, was going to end the um, pledge of marriage the the, um, engagement because he thought obviously something had gone on and we would all think would we not something has gone on but an angel came to him and said no don't worry take Jesus take Jesus take Mary as your wife what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit sounds strange it's a miracle did it really happen? well I believe it did. Many, many millions of people believe it did. So that's just one for example. The place of his birth was prophesied, that it would be Bethlehem in 700 BC, and that is a really small town. Isaiah prophesied, another man, 700 years, many miracles. I, I think this is an interesting one. 500 years before his birth, it was prophesied that the triumph, what's called in the Bible the triumphal entry... Just before his, um, this is the Sunday before he dies. There's the triumphal entry. I don't know if you know this, that he came into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they lay, lay, lay the palm branches down. You know, wave palm branches and all that. Do you know that that was prophesied 500 years before his birth, that Jesus would come into Jerusalem riding a donkey? Let me read it to you. Shout, Jerusalem! See. Your king comes to you, righteous, victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey. The colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay? Interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Um, That he would be betrayed for uh, 30 pieces of silver. Is it 30 pieces of silver? Excuse me, I'm looking in here now well, even the amount of silver that Judas would betray him for was even prophesied. And let me just point to you one which I think is, is really interesting. Do you know that crucifixion was invented by the Persians in 500 BC? Okay, Persians, doesn't matter who they are, but 500 years before Jesus was born, the Persians invented crucifixion. But do you know what? 500 years before that in other words, 1000 BC, it was prophesied that Jesus would be crucified. So, Isaiah, who, not Isaiah, sorry, um, David, who wrote this prophecy, would never have known anything about crucifixion. But he wrote this, A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And I could go on about many, many others. There's 300. I could could talk all morning, let alone half an hour. And, importantly, his resurrection was also predicted. His death was predicted. His crucifixion was predicted. The fact that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. The fact that he would be betrayed by a close friend for 30, I think, maybe 300, I can't quite remember, pieces of silver, but it's in there. And, It was also prophesied that he would rise again. And I will just pick out a little phrase from the larger prophecy. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And it talks about other things about the resurrection. That is uh, 700 years before his birth. So I just want to point out to you, it's an amazing book. Okay, 300 prophecies fulfilled. A number of them in one day on his death. How is that so? Jesus Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer. He must suffer because it was predicted it would happen. So therefore, he had to suffer. And I guess as a point of application for us, if you are a Christian, I really want you to feel confident in the Bible that it's predictions come true and its promises come true. All that God says comes true. He is faithful. Some, I mean, for the fulfilment of some of these prophecies, it took some time. But Jesus, God, is always, always faithful to his word. And maybe at the moment you are trusting God in your life. You heard Otto say earlier, didn't you, when he was being baptised, he said, life isn't always easy. Now I know Otto. I spend Every sat- most Saturdays I spend some time with Otto and Jackie. And I know life's not t- 100% easy, is it? You have your ch- we, we all have our challenges. But we know God is faithful. He is good. And he always fulfills his words, his promises. He is very faithful. Maybe you've been let down in life. Maybe people have promised things that haven't come true. Maybe they promised you to be faithful to you. Maybe they promised you that they would do things for you and they've let you down. I want to say, God never lets you down. That's my story. He never, he never lets me down. And he will never let you down either. So, death, his death was promised. Secondly, I want to talk about the death was needed. Why didn't, why did Jesus have to die? Why was it predicted? For, for what purpose? Why would, why would the Son of God need to go to the cross? It seems, it seems does it? I mean, in our, why would you do that? I want to explain to you why it had to happen. Let me just repeat those words. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers, and be killed. Why then must he be killed? I want to begin just straight off by saying that our forgiveness costs his death. My forgiveness cost Jesus his life. Again, as I just bring back, bring us back to the theme of remembrance. Many men and women have given their lives for what we enjoy here today. They gave their lives. And I want to say that is a picture of the amazing picture that Jesus, the Son of God, gave his life to rescue us from a tyrant. The tyrant of our guilt. The tyrant of all the wrong things that we've done, that you've done, that I've done. He wanted to rescue us. God wanted to rescue us from our death and our sin. And that's the reason why. And I'll explain a bit more about that. All forgiveness, true forgiveness, is costly. True forgiveness is costly. And, I, and I was, as I was thinking about this, Alid spoke on this a little while ago about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a really big issue. It's a massive issue. And forgiveness is something we have to keep on employing, keep doing on a regular basis. We as a nation, I feel, and I've grown up, obviously I'm 36 now, um, and I I don't know what it was like maybe 50 years ago in this nation. I I, I wasn't born then, I I don't know. But I certainly know that through my whole school life, no one ever taught me what it was to forgive. Because I bet you you, like me, think forgiveness is just letting people off or pretending it never happened. I don't know what you think forgiveness is. Maybe you just think, well, somebody hurts me and I just have to live with it and not beat them up. That's forgiveness. Maybe that's what you... I don't know what you think forgiveness is. Forgiveness is costly, actually. True forgiveness means that when somebody wrongs us, We pay the price. We choose to pay the price. We choose to take that debt into ourselves and choose not to inflict vengeance, hatred upon the other person. That's forgiveness. We pay a price. It's a painful price. It's a price that's costly to us. It's a price that you feel like you are dying Thankfully for the Christian, there's also another side to it as well. You pay the price, but you also say to God, you have it in hand in terms of judgment. You will do the right thing with judgment. Whereas when you don't have that, you can can bring that to yourself, can't you? And you can feel for the rest of your life there is no judgment. Actually, there is judgment for everything that happens and every wrong and every right will receive its just rewards because of God. And as we remove God, suddenly we need to take vengeance ourselves, don't we? And unfortunately, as we remove God from our nation, I don't need to predict to you that there will be more and more vengeance, more and more hatred, more and more outbursts of anger and, 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 and war, actually. And I think forgiveness is something we need to really fight for ourselves. And I want to say that all of us, in terms of human relationships, true forgiveness costs something. I mean, if somebody steals from you, they steal something from you, and, and you have a choice, don't you? You can either make them pay you back, or you, can, or you can let them off, but in either case, somebody pays. If I let you off, I pay. Okay, I'll do without that, that was stolen from me. I'll do without it. I'm paying. If I make you pay me back, well, you're paying. Somebody's paying. If somebody offends you, mate, I don't know if you've ever had this, but people are you know, malicious and they, they talk behind your back and gossip maybe. Uh, this, this never happens at work, does it? No one ever gossips. No one ever talks behind your back. If you were a manager here, you, would know. you wouldn't have ever had anybody talking behind your back or about you. Well, you have a choice, don't you? In that broken relationship, you can either forgive the person yourself, you can say, I'm going to take it to myself, I'm going to forgive them, or you can take vengeance, can't you? You can, you can spread a rumour about that person. And you can make them pay, or you can pay yourself. And that's true of human relationships. And it's also true of our relationship with God. That there is a... Co- there, there is, we have offended God. All of us. If you've ever hated someone, hatred is, is not... God, God does not like hatred. If you've, ever, if you've ever taken vengeance, if you've ever been angry, if you've ever lusted, forgive me, if you've ever uh, thought things you know to be wrong, well, it's not just... You've offended God. I've offended God. I offend God every day. There is a price to be paid in that relationship. Thankfully, God... Chooses to forgive. And it's Jesus, by dying on the cross, that takes the price for my sin. And that is wonderful. So Jesus died for my sin. I'm rushing through this. I understand that. Let me read to you from a book called Tim Keller The Reason for God. There is another option to revenge, you can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. You not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation, opportunity, whatever it might be, But now you forgo or you lose the consolation, the joy of inflicting the same thing on them. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Forgiveness is costly. And I want to transfer that onto the Son of God where he chooses, if we turn to him and say, forgive me, Lord, be my Lord and Saviour, he takes that onto himself. He absorbs all our offences against God. And that is wonderful news that we can live guilt-free before God. We can live shame-free before God. All the wrong things we've done. If I was to, you know, we talk about this before, but sometimes. If I was to project onto the wall behind me the things that you are ashamed of, you would be embarrassed, would you not? Oh yes, oh, yes says Santino. I would be ashamed. I would be ashamed. If, if you could, and, you, and many of you... Because you're like me, you know the kind of thoughts I have. I'm a man, right? I'm, I'm a, ma- many of you are men in the room. You know you're like me. The sorts of thoughts, the ambitions, the... Uh, but, but the wonderful thing about the Gospel is this. We can't wash that away. But by putting your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, it's taken on him. He absorbs it into himself. The cost of forgiveness. So Jesus had to die. He had to die. It was the cost of forgiveness. If there was another way, he would have found it. Let me read to you from the account of him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says this, he's just before the cross. He's just about to be betrayed. Judas is just about to come up the hill and kiss him and say, and betray his friends. This is what what happens just before that. Jesus went with his disciples to the the garden called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. I'll, I'll rush through it. He says, Father, as he's praying, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. May this cup be taken from me. So he's praying, "Father, if it's possible, please, may this cup be taken from me." He's talking about a cup. He's going to have to drink. He's he's seeing it. And this is a man that showed no fear. He showed so much courage. He's never been he's never you've never seen Jesus sad throughout all of his ministry, and suddenly he's, he's in agony, going, please, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, let it, let it happen. And then he prayed again. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So Jesus wants another way. He would love to find another way of forgiving our sins. The cup is is going. To, what's going to happen is this: He's going to go to the cross, and drinking the cup is, is 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 drinking our guilt. He's drinking our guilt, and on the cross, this is what happens: This is my guilt, my, your your guilt, our guilt, and it, it's transferred. It, he drinks. He drinks it. He drinks all of it. And Jesus, the Son of God, drinks my sin, my guilt, my shame. And you are free. You are free. There is nothing in the cup. Maybe you play old stories in your mind about things you've done. Old stories of 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 things you feel guilty of. Jesus has drank your cup if you're a Christian this morning. And that is wonderful news. It's been transferred. He has drunk it for us. He had to die. He had to suffer. Jesus took our guilt upon himself, upon the cross. It is finished. It is done. So Jesus' death was needed. Finally then, death is defeated. The Son of Man must suffer, be betrayed, be killed, but on the third day, rise to life. So this morning, we're not, we're not just remembering somebody who died. Not a martyr, not a good example, not a good teacher. We are remembering a saviour who is alive. Hallelujah. I mean, we're remembering a saviour who is alive. Whatever situation you're in, Jesus is alive. And, And this is incredibly good news because the one who loved you so much that he went to the cross wants to be with you in your life, supporting you, helping you, giving you strength. The love of the cross He wants to bring to you every day. He wants to support you. He wants to help you. Death is defeated in Jesus. Now you may be, uh, I'm going to rush through these. What are the other alternatives that Jesus rose from the dead? Okay, Matt, you're saying Jesus rose from the dead. Surely there are some other alternatives such as it didn't happen. It's all, it was 2,000 years ago, okay. It was made up, somehow um, it didn't really happen. It's just a legend. Well, I want to say to you uh, that historians would not agree with you that Jesus, because Jesus did exist. There's plenty, tons of evidence to point to the fact that Jesus did exist and that he did die as an historical event. You could say, well, he didn't die, you know. Okay, maybe he existed, but he didn't really die. He got put in the... but he he didn't die he he revived again that is a very weak argument when you look at what actually happened in the crucifixion and the fact that he was also stabbed in the side with a spear uh, allowing blood and water to flow which I'm told by medics is a sign of a cardiac arrest maybe the disciples stole the body I'm rushing through these. How did they get into the tomb when it was guarded by a a troop of Roman soldiers? Who would have been executed if they didn't do their duty properly? How would they have done that? And if they had stolen the body, well, why did they die for their faith, many of them? Well, but the authorities stole the body. Well, what happened then? Why didn't they bring the body out again and say, look guys, you're saying he rose from the dead. Well, here he is. He didn't rise from the dead, the Romans could have said. Well, they didn't, did they? The body was gone. What about wishful thinking? It just kind of, they hoped it would happen, oh, oh, and somehow the legend started. Maybe that's what you think. What about a vision or a, an hallucination, maybe? maybe? And it says, unfortunately, or it says in the Bible that he appeared to 500 people at the same time, over a six-week period. So, a, an hallucination seems unlikely. They went to the wrong tomb. They went to the wrong one and and unfortunately, and and then they said he's risen. Well, I don't think that really stands up either. They found the grave clothes. Um, I don't think that stands up. There are many things that point to that are strong evidence that the resurrection did happen. What about... And you may think, well, this doesn't sound like evidence. The role of women as witnesses. You may say, well, that, what's wrong with that? Let me just say, back in the uh, 2,000 years ago, women were not allowed to give evidence in court. And a, a woman's evidence was not taken seriously, I'm told, by historians. Therefore, the first people Jesus appeared to was women. Which not only raises his... you know. God, God, Christianity. We we raise up women as equal with men, but not only that. It seems very odd if you're wanting to start a religion and we want to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. We choose some witnesses that no one's going to believe. All right, but that's a, a, a strong piece of evidence that it actually did happen. What about the change of day? The Jews used to meet on a Saturday and it was even commanded by God. You will meet on a Saturday. Well, the, the, um, the Jewish Christians, and they were initially Jewish, started meeting on the Sunday, the first day of the week. That's a very strong piece of evidence. The existence of the early church, I'm, I could read you so, to some accounts about how they were dejected, how they, how they didn't believe, how they didn't understand, uh, how they were really defeated but Jesus appeared to them. That's a strong piece of evidence, and now there are billions of Christians in the world today. I could talk to you about his brothers. I'll mention it, shall I? His brothers, initially, it says in the Gospel of John, didn't believe in him. I mean, what brother is going to believe that their brother is the saviour of the world? Come on. You think he's tough, you know? Brothers don't tend to big up. Brothers, right? Sibling rivalry and all that. Okay? So they were very scathing, cynical about him, it says in the Gospel of John. But do you know what? Both Jude and James became church leaders, wrote sections of the Bible, they became worshippers of Jesus as God. Mary herself was obviously a follower of Jesus. And brothers don't tend to think of their brothers as being God. Because, you know what? If you've got a brother or a sister, you know they're not perfect, right? Don't you? Or maybe you've got a perfect brother or sister. Hands up if you've got a perfect brother or sister. I mean, like they just never do anything wrong. I mean, never. They never do anything wrong. I mean, you grew up with them and they were just patient over the TV controller. They just didn't want it. They were like, have the TV controller. It is of no worth. Oh, bedtimes. Bedtimes matter not to me. I prefer to sleep in peace. And, you know, you don't, do you? They argue, right? Brothers and sisters argue, don't they? Do they not? But you know what? Both James and Jude followed Jesus as God the Messiah and taught that Jesus never sinned. Isn't that incredible? I think that's incredible. That's a good piece of evidence. So he, I believe, is risen. If, you, if you're still thinking, well, I'm... I'm a, I'd like to talk more about this. Come on an Alpha course where you get a lot of opportunity to ask more questions, talk a bit more in depth about these things. Come on the Alpha course. You can find out more information about that. An Alpha course is an opportunity for you to ask questions about the Christian faith. Go to the information table at the end and you can find out more about that. The resurrection is amazing. It means that Jesus, he died... He died for our sins. He rose again. And it means he is the living God. It means like, as we heard in these testimonies down the front as those people were being baptised, it means that you can live your life now with the presence of Jesus in your life every day. I tell you, this this has revolutionised my life. I can't... I'm sure you will understand it. Without, without, without God in your life, it means that well, you've got to come to some conclusions. But ultimately, it means that you are alone in the universe, or in, in the town. You're doing whatever you're doing. You are alone, and you've got to work out your life. You've got to, you've got to muster up enough strength to do your job and to hold down a job and to hold your marriage together or to sort things out and, and you, you, you're relying on yourself and friends. And, but you know what? As a Christian, I have the power of God every day. I can go to him and say, Lord, I am struggling with this. Please would you help me? And I find every time I do that, he gives me strength. And you may say, oh, you're a weak man. Well, I am a weak man. And if you're a weak man or a woman this morning, Jesus is for you. If you're strong, you don't need forgiveness. If you don't need forgiveness, if you don't need help, if you don't need, then then Jesus isn't for you. He came to save those who are weak and who are sinners. That's that's everyone actually. People like me, people like you. So he is alive. Jesus, we looked at the baptisms this morning, and I'll finish with this. We saw people being baptised this morning. And that baptism is a sign that they believe that Jesus went down into death, judgment, and that he rose again for them. And if through some miracle, which is difficult, which I can't explain, is that somehow... The Christian has also gone down into death and has risen again in Jesus. So those people who have been, baptized, have been baptized this morning have new resurrection life in them. They've been transformed, transformed by the power of the resurrection. And that's true of you this morning, because Jesus, as I said earlier, because Jesus underwent a baptism. He was crucified, he died, he drank all of our guilt and sin and death. Because he did that, you can know forgiveness and you can know resurrection life yourself. So Jesus then, he's defeated death. And the Christian has a hope of eternal life and it's wonderful good news. If you do want to find out more about the Christian faith, as i said already, the Alpha Course is a wonderful, friendly, um, uh, informal way of finding out. Very, as I said before, very friendly. You can ask any question you like, and we'll be very happy to talk to you about any issue you might have on the Alpha Course. Or even this morning, you may have. So I know some of you, good, about 12, 14 of you, are already on the Alpha Course. So if you're here this morning, you feel this morning, actually, you know what? This morning, I want to give my life to Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again. Well, come and see me at the end and I'll be happy to talk with you and pray with you. As for the rest of us, let's pray, shall we, and we'll end. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you so much. I want to thank you that you died for me and that you rose again. I thank you for revealing these things. I will thank you so much for those who were baptised today. Lord, the, the power, the new, new life that they have received Thank you so much. Would you keep each of them safe? Pray, keep each of them, bless each of them, fill each of them with your spirit? Lord. And I pray, Lord God, for us as a church, Lord, would you strengthen us? I pray you give us your joy. I pray for everyone here that knows Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Lord, that any situation they're in, they would know that you are living and that you are for them. And the love displayed on the cross is the ongoing love that you want to give them and you want them to be assured with in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Amen. We'll finish there. Thank you so much for coming, particularly if you're a visitor. Thank you for taking the morning out to be with us. I hope you've enjoyed the morning and thought it interesting and maybe you've got some questions. Come and speak to me. Other than that, there's coffee and tea outside. Enjoy the rest of this lovely sunny day.